DJ and PK, we're joined now by Matt Brown, publisher of Extra Points, covering college football and college athletics. He's an Ohio State grad, and he joins us right now on the Smart Rain guest line. Smart Rain's state-of-the-art smart irrigation controller helps with first-class water management. Visit smartrain.net to learn how to save 30 to 50% on your commercial property's water costs, or call 877-346-3333. Matt, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me on, fellas. Thanks for coming on. So are we getting the Ohio State grad who's got the pom-poms out and is rooting for the alma mater, or we've got the highly trained professional with his analytical eye for the sport? Well, I don't, I don't know. I wouldn't say I'm highly trained, but I, I will try to be a serious professional here. And like, I'll tell you this right up front. Like, I think Utah's going to win this game. Why? Why? There's, there's, like, there's a couple of reasons for this. Like, I think even if both teams were at full strength, Utah matches up pretty well with Ohio State's weaknesses. And if there's one thing we've seen over the last two weeks, it's pretty clear that to this Utah program, this is the Super Bowl. And I don't mean that pejoratively, right? This is going to be a heavy Utah crowd. As far as I know, every significant playmaker is planning on being in this game. And for Ohio State, we saw this season with the number one um, you know, F-plus adjusted offense, that offense isn't going to be in this game because Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, Ohio State's, you know, two of their three-headed monster at wide receiver, they're not going to play. Ohio State's best offensive lineman, Nicholas Petit-Fierre, is not going to play. Ohio State's most consistent and probably best defensive tackle, Haskell Garrett, is not going to play. And that's not even saying anything about injuries or, or in, any COVID situation here. So then I, I, the, the way that Ohio State wins this game is by outscoring Utah and, and, and uh, being so explosive that they can drop 35 points and don't necessarily need to be efficient. And in order for that to happen, they're going to need some redshirt freshmen or people who, who have never really seen consistent action at, at you know, college football before to have monster games. And this is a really hard team and a really a difficult environment uh, for, for that to happen. So I, I don't want to insinuate that you know, this game would not be a meaningful achievement or not matter for Utah because they're not getting Ohio State at full strength. Like, that narrative sucks. But when just looking at who's actually going to play, I think Utah matches up really well. I think PK's threatened to pull out all of his hair if I ask you about uh, Ohio State's <laughs> inability to run the ball. Or, excuse me, to stop the run. Stop the run. And we saw it against Oregon, and we saw it against Michigan. When you talk matchups, is that what you're talking about, that you think Utah's going to run the ball because that's what they do, and Ohio State isn't going to be able to stop an above-average or elite running attack because, well, that's not what they do. I, I, th- I think that's part of it. And, like, the, the Michigan and Oregon games, I think, were different because Ohio State's defense was punished in different, uh, different ways by, by that rushing attack. But, but certainly, like, this is not a championship-caliber linebacking crew. And what we've seen out of Ohio State's defense when they're really good at these past couple of seasons is that they have some kind of five-star first-round draft pick, outwardly uh, pass rusher, you know, a, a real elite talent uh, at defensive end that can kind of single-handedly disrupt what a team wants to do. That, that, those are your Bosa brothers. That was your Chase Young. Ohio State may have that next year. Uh, they, they do have, I, I, I think they've signed three five-star you know, the pa- defensive ends in the past two recruiting classes, but they don't have one right now. Um, and they are beat up. Um, they, uh, beyond just Haskell Garrett, they, they've had a couple of their other guys injured or just haven't been at full strength uh, at defensive tackle. 
And if you can't get a great pass rush and you don't have championship caliber guys, you know, up, up in the middle and you don't have linebackers that can fill gaps or make reads uh, as quickly as you need to, then yeah, if, if you run the ball well, you can get four, five, six yards of carry on this Ohio State defense. Now, you know, it will be interesting to see whether Utah can throw the ball uh, as well as Oregon and Michigan and a couple other teams were able to do in that game. You know, Oregon had a better, a better day throwing than they did against most Pac-12 teams, uh, in part because the, the running game made things open up so many opportunities for them. But that's, that, that's going to be a big challenge. Like, I, I think that Utah should be able to expect to dominate time of possession and to be able to, to shorten this game and make things a little bit more challenging for Ohio State's more explosive offense. And should be and the, the, the yards on the ground will be there for that. Yeah, I can, I can buy all that. I mean, that, that makes complete and total sense. Uh, but I want to go back to something that you said uh, as far as potentially outscoring them. I mean, I realize Utah's defense usually is really good, but you just look at the scores of Ohio State, 59, 52, 66, 54. I mean, Nebraska, they only got 26. Purdue, which was ranked, they put 59 on them. And we all remember that Michigan State thing. That, that was, yeah. uh, and it was late in uh, November, if I remember correctly, and it was perceived as a big game. And was it 49 nothing at halftime? It's like, wow, yeah, they, they look they, like they scored on Alabama. They look like Alabama on steroids all of a sudden here. So I can't get that out of my mind. And thinking that, all right, they are missing these guys that you say. Those are facts. But they were still explosive. So if they didn't have those three guys, maybe they only led 34 to nothing at halftime against Michigan State. (laughs) It still seems to me that they're potent offensively, with or without these guys. They they, they are unquestionably potent. And and this is the thing about even if you're playing Ohio State's B-plus team on offense, where you're, you're facing mostly underclassmen. All of those underclassmen are high four-star guys. Uh, and, and to a man, I think, uh, you know, when you look at Ohio State's skill position talent, they are all elite, elite speed. Um, and and th- that has w- that's what made this offense so terrifying and so explosive during the season is because they could take a guy, you know, Garrett Wilson would get a nine-yard you know, nine slant and just outrun everybody and turn that into a 45-yard gain or a 54-yard touchdown. Um, and, and Ohio State's running back, Travion Henderson, who I think is going to be uh, on most Heisman shortlist next year because he's a true freshman and still ran for well over 1,000 yards. He's somebody where Utah's going to stop him for two yards, three yards behind the line of scrimmage. He might be rushing for 1.8 yards to carry into the first quarter, and then he's going to take one for 60 yards because all of these guys have an, just an extra gear that is hard to match. And, and that was even came up in the uh, in the the Oregon game. It came up in the Michigan game a little bit. But if you want to look at what this Ohio State offense could look like without these guys, the Nebraska game is a good example because Garrett Wilson didn't play in that game. Um, Chris Olave did, and Olave is more of a uh, vertical, you know, straight downfield burner kind of guy. He's not really a slant receiver. He's not someone who's going to get eleven catches. And Ohio State's offense stalled a little bit because they weren't able to um, be schedule and found themselves facing thirds and third and seven, third and eight, third and nine. And even if Utah puts Ohio State in that position throughout the gate, Ohio State's going to convert some stuff just because they've got dudes. And those dudes might be Marvin, Jer- Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, that might be Julian Fleming. These are our high four-star, five-star underclassmen wide receivers who are going to see some more time. Might be G. Scott, uh, West Coast guy. 
who was a five-star recruit, who's going to be playing a little bit more in this game. Um, like that's that's going to happen. Uh, but I think w- when you're missing those, you know, not just a, deep, a big play guy, but also your safety blanket, who's going to get eight, nine, ten catches a game in, in Garrett Wilson, you aren't going to be able to get the four, five, six yards uh, a play that you would need to to, uh, to be more to be more efficient. You're, it's it's going to be kind of an all or nothing more sort of thing. I think Ohio State's still going to score 28 points. Um, but that might not be enough if they don't get enough possessions. The, their their path to win here, I think, is winning like is scoring forty five. It's not a team that I think can win this game twenty to seven. Well, certainly Ohio State averaged forty five points a game, so you, you can't throw that out there. But I, I was going to ask you about the Nebraska game because Nebraska went one and eight in the Big Ten. And Nebraska yep. held them to 26 points. Now, Penn State went 4-5 and five in the Big Ten. That was not a great Penn State team. I know they were ranked when they played Ohio State. The brand names demand that that game be pumped up. That was a 33-24 game, which might be how Ohio State tries to win this game. What did Penn State do to hold Ohio State to 33 points? Because it sounds funny to hold someone to 33, but that is 12 points <laughs> below their average. And Ohio State had at least a half dozen games. They scored 50 points this year. So how did they hold yeah. them to 33? Um, so one of the big problems, and, and I, I realize it's kind of weird saying this for a team that averaged 45 points a game, but uh, particularly during the last half of the year, Ohio State really wasn't very good in the red zone on offense. Um, and they're going to get in the red zone because they get yards on just about everybody, even when they are not at full strength. But in that Penn State game, I, I, you, you, if you watched it, it was not difficult to imagine Ohio State scoring 51, right? Penn State turned the ball over three times. Um, and Ohio State just couldn't get out of their own way. They converted, I want to say, less than a third of their third down conversions. They were constantly put behind schedule. They had 10 penalties, uh, several of them particularly costly, and they didn't convert in the, in the red zone. You know, Trayon Henderson had 152 yards and a touchdown, but it took him almost 30 carries to get there. Uh, and uh, I think most of those yards were on three or four carries. So it was a lot of, you know, um, First and ten, second and eight, third and seven, send the house. Um, and 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 uh, Penn State just, just could not convert well enough on offense. And and that and Sean Clifford played like the game of his life in that game uh, to to make it close. So that that's that's the way to beat Ohio State. You're not going to shut Ohio State out. You're 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 not going to hold them to 200 yards. Um, you're probably not going to make C.J. Stroud throw three interceptions. You might be able to get him to throw one, but he's he's a, he's a pretty accurate guy. Um, the, the trick is to bend and don't break and, and make, make Henderson be very inefficient, make Ohio State kind of forget about him, which they do sometimes, much to Ohio State uh, fans' chagrin. Well, you know, given that Ohio State's DNA is to be a little bit more like, this, like Utah has been over the past couple of years, and this is a little bit closer to a, a Big 12 kind of team um, or maybe an NFL kind of team in that they, they want to throw the ball probably two or three times more than they're actually going to run it. Um, and if you some of those one-on-one matchups, you can hold them to 28 points. What's the mood among Ohio State fans as far as just their uh, what? What can I look for? What can I say? The anticipation, because in, in our community, it's off the charts. The Utes are going to the Rose yeah. Bowl; it's the first time, and we get that this isn't the playoff, but still, it's the Rose Bowl. And is it sort of a blasé uh, attitude for, among Ohio State fans? The vibes in Columbus could not be worse right now. Like I, I don't think we could overstate 
how significant this dichotomy is between one program that not only wants to be there, but recognizes that this is potentially a transformational like game for their program. When you were in the Mountain West or when you were going through the wilderness of the 80s and the Rose Bowl represents like this totem of everything that your program is structurally uh, incapable of achieving. And now you finally climb that mountain and you've gotten there and you can, you know, I, I think in, in this market, if you want to you know, criticize Ohio State fans and that program for being spoiled, I think that's completely fair. But this was a team that came into the season with playoff aspirations. And not only did they fail to meet that goal, but then they, they failed to meet that goal because they lost to their arch rival. And they didn't just lose to their arch rival, but they lost to their arch rival in the most humiliating way to Ohio State fans possible, which is Michigan physically stuffed them in a locker and took their lunch money. Like, it would be one thing if there was a blocked punt or someone threw for 500 yards, but they got out Woody Hayes. Um, and that is, like, structurally concerning, <laughs> I, I think, to a lot of Ohio State fans. Like, there's, there's a reason you're seeing a lot of people opt out. Um, there's a reason Ohio State is returning tickets, which has almost never happened given how national this fan base is and how many West Coast Ohio State fans there are. They, uh, the, the young players are going to be very motivated uh, to, to show out here because playing time is going to be premium, and you want to get the bad taste of Michigan out of, out of their mouth. But this is going to be a home game for Utah. And I don't think you can completely understate that when it's the third quarter and people are beat up and they're hurt and they're angry. It's not hard to imagine that the guys in Salt Lake want this experience more than the people in Columbus do. So I'm I'm curious about the, especially the young receivers that you mentioned earlier, who are going to be stepping in for the guys who opted out. Because everyone knows Ohio State recruits high-end talent. Everybody's gifted, or you wouldn't be on Ohio State's roster. You wouldn't have a scholarship yeah. there. But especially at all, especially at wide receiver, maybe more so than any other position. Okay, but we all know college coaches like to schedule a couple of money games, get the bugs out, let guys get the nerves out, and then they can really take off and and achieve to the level of their, of their spectacular talent. But we also know there are guys who are chomping at the bit who are like, if you give me one chance, my, if I get my foot in the door, it's over. I'm taking over. And so I'm curious with the receivers who are likely to get more snaps, get to run more routes, and get targeted more by the quarterback, are they going to – do they need time to warm up, time that they don't have? Or are they going to seize that first chance, blow by somebody, cut back on somebody else, and end up in the end zone? I mean, the, the latter is possible. Like, everybody has that, right? And, I mean, it has that potential. They did it in high school. They've done it in practice. There's, there's a reason that they're in a position to, to play here. But then you're – I know that this doesn't make compelling radio, but you're, we're, we're, both of us are sitting here trying to make definitive statements about 19, 20-year-olds. Yeah. And even if they're not football players, you and I and God and everybody in this market knows that 19 and 20 year olds are not the most consistent, reliable, stable people under the best of circumstances. And when you put them in a situation where there's 70,000 people screaming and it's very emotionally charged and uh, the, a tenth of a second hesitation in either direction means a different result for the play, you can't really predict it. So, yeah, it is possible that, that this could be a game here where Julian Fleming, who was, I want to say, the top wide receiver recruit in this class, he was injured a little bit, and that's why he fell down in the rotation. He shows everybody why he was uh, projected to be a first-round NFL talent and goes for eight catches for 145 yards and two touchdowns. That, that could happen. But 
they haven't had the same number of reps that uh, you know that um, CJ Stroud has had with the, with his ones. And they, they feel like the moment's a little bit too big for them. And maybe Ohio State's offensive line isn't quite where it was, you know, three weeks ago. And pass protection's a little bit off. It, it, it could be a very different thing. So you know, I look at this and think as a totality of all the other you know, factors of this game makes me think, I think I like Utah, Utah chances better. But is there a possibility that Ohio State still throws for 406 yards? Yeah, like they, they have the dudes to do that. And that's just what happens when you play Ohio State. Obviously, the better the player, the easier job it is to coach. And one of the hallmarks of Kyle Whittingham's staff is he doesn't have a ton of four- and five-star guys, but they identify them early, maybe switch positions, coach them up, and away they go, and they send off plenty of guys to the NFL. My thought for you is what is your confidence level in the coaching staff being able to overcome whatever it might be, deficiency with guys sitting out or injury or whatever it is, to be able to come up and figure out a game plan and use some coaching expertise to be a factor in this game? That's a, that's a great question. And I don't think it would be homerish to say that I would like, I, I think Utah has an advantage in this department heading into this game. You know, p- part of it is Ohio State staff was already in turmoil a little bit. They just hired a new defensive coordinator from uh, Oregon State who will not be on staff for this game. Um, and that means that one of Ohio State's assistants, and which one yet, is not going to be, is, is not going to have a job, you know, in, in a week and a half because you can't have, you can't have that many. Ohio State uh, demoted their defensive coordinator after week three. And there's been a, a lot of, confusion about who should be doing what on this defensive staff. I, I would imagine there's going to be multiple personnel changes there. I think Ryan Day is a really good coach. I think he's particularly a really good offensive coach, not just a really good recruiter, but a, a very creative schematic person. He was, you know, he came out of the, the Chip Kelly when that meant something. Um, and I, I would expect Ohio State's offense to still perform you know, well. Like, again, it's, it's hard for me to imagine them, you know, putting up 181 yards and one touchdown. I think they're going to be able to score points. But, um, I, you know, I've told everybody this nationally, that I, there's, I, there's not many coaches right now that have a better track record of uh, performing in bowl games and maximizing the talent that they have and maximizing their identity than, than Winningham. And with all of the outside whispers that hey, this might be his last game or we don't know what, what Utah's going to be doing after this or, you know, to, or to instill within this team how much this particular game matters and how they need to execute, yeah, I, I, I would feel pretty comfortable that, that even if Utah loses, they're going to still be able to do what Utah wants to do or needs to do to win this game. If they lose, it's because... I think it's because they got out talented, and that happens sometimes when when you have when you face a team that has better players and also has a competent coach. Like it's not a USC kind of situation, um, but I don't think it will be because Utah is completely flummoxed and unable to, to to kind of impose what they want to do for this football game. Well, Matt, we will leave it right there. We appreciate you coming on, sharing all your uh, your expertise, and and that felt less like Ohio State pom poms and more like you know a guy who makes his <laughs> living doing this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, 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 I try to, I try, I try to do that. Um, you know, and, and most of the time these days, I'm writing about stuff that happens off the field. And uh, you know, what, what, you know, if, if a Utah fan is interested in the kind of four make their athletic department tick, um, you might enjoy extra points, which you can find at extrapointsmb.com. There it is, Matt. We appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. Yep, no problem, fellas. Be well. I'll talk to y'all later.
Matt Brown, publisher of Extra Points, covering college football and college athletics. And yes, he is an Ohio State grad. So, PK, a little turmoil on the defensive coaching staff on top of everything else. Well, we knew that the situation there was uh, very much uh, uh, an issue with when I follow Ohio State, I think all of us do to one degree or another, and we knew about them changing and demoting and having other guys call the plays and all that stuff. The the thing about it, the the, the standard for Ohio State is really unrealistic. (laughs) It's it's like a statewide crisis if you lose a game. Yeah. It really is. Not even beyond uh, into the region, into Kentucky, because obviously Cincinnati's right there with Kentucky. And it's it's such a big, big deal. And that's the level that this program is on, which is why, for me, whether these guys play or not, this program is, is top two or three annually. Its reputation is is and it's not unprecedented, but it's right there with anybody else's. And so, if you beat these guys, man, that's why I wanted Ohio State to be in this game because you got this opportunity to beat Ohio State, beat Alabama. Yeah, you only play them once, but so what? They only play you once, <laughs> and you get this opportunity to beat them. That's why I think this thing would just be so friggin' cool. Yes, I believe these guys are tainting the prestige of the Rose Bowl. I think it's a bad precedent. I'm with her, Kirk Herbstreet. I mean, a lot of these people come after me. I'm just some schmo in Salt Lake. Yeah. But basically, all I did was quote, her, quote Kirk Herbstreet, who's only like five trillion times bigger than I'll ever be, and he's saying the same thing. Come after me. I get it. It's easy to do. Well, I'm only echoing what Herbstreet said, but nevertheless – if Utah wins, no apologies, no excuses, no asterisks. They won the game. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Thanks to Matt Brown for coming on. And if you just joined us at the end of that interview, well, you can listen to it wherever. And he made a lot of good points early on. He knows Ohio State inside and out as an Ohio State grad. And he thinks Utah is going to win the game. If you want to hear that, wherever you get podcasts, Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, on down the list, wherever you get your your podcast, you can find a DJ and PK with Matt Brown. All right, DJ and PK, Mike Smith is coming up at the top of the hour. The Jazz are in Portland playing the shorthanded Blazers tonight. We'll get to that with Mike at 9 o'clock. Stay with us.